to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley & Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley & Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. This episode features a conversation with James Austin, a 2022 summer associate in Foley's Chicago office. In this discussion, James reflects on growing up in Flossmoor, Illinois, attending DePaul University for undergrad, and Villanova University School of Law. But of course, this is the path in the practice, so his path isn't exactly that straightforward. James also reflects on working for over four years before attending law school, and in particular, I get him to discuss the process he followed to get a 1L summer associate position with Foley. That's right. Unlike many of the other summers I've featured on the show, James is a 1L, so he just finished his first year of law school, and I didn't know this at the time of recording, but James will also be joining us for his 2L summer, which is really exciting, and I'm delighted to share it with you all. So of course, I get James to talk about how exactly he went about finding the position with Foley as a 1L, which is different from that 2L process, and also getting him to dive in and talk about what he did this summer, what he worked on, and what he thinks of Foley and Lardner. Um, We then wind down our discussion with James talking about the importance of bringing your whole self to work. I hope you enjoy my conversation with James Austin. James, welcome to The Path and the Practice. Delighted to have you here. And I know I start all these shows the same. I'm always excited to have the guest here. But you in particular, because as a law student who's listened to the podcast, we're going to talk about that in a bit. But let's first just start with you giving a short introduction. Perfect. Well, first, thank you so much for having me. Like we said earlier, longtime listener, first time caller. So very, very excited to be here. Uh, My name is James Austin. I Went to undergrad at DePaul University here in Chicago, where I graduated in 2016. And now I'm a law student at Villanova University just outside of Philadelphia. And I'm currently in the last week of a 1L summer associateship here at Foley's Chicago office. All right, we're going to talk quite a bit about that experience. And of course, we'll talk about the whole law school thing and why law school and how did you pick your law school. But before we get to all that, let's start somewhat at the beginning. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? So I grew up in the south suburbs of Chicago in the Homewood Flossmore area. I uh, went to Homewood Flossmore High School and, and yeah, from the south suburbs. And so for people who listen to all the episodes, which most people don't. I think most people kind of pick and choose, but that may sound somewhat familiar because I recently had John Litchfield on the show, I think maybe like two episodes ago, who's also from Homewood Flossmore. And I know you guys sort of knew of each other growing up. We may or may not talk about that, but just for someone else who's listening, who's like, that's so funny. Didn't someone else recently say they were from Flossmore? Yes, they did. You are not misremembering that. So before we talk about high school, let's even get earlier, James, you got to give me insight as to life little James Austin (laughs) growing up in Flossmore. Let's say you're in, I don't know, late elementary school, early middle school. What kind of kid were you? What were you into? Oh, that's a great question. I haven't had to think back that long in a while, but in middle school, I was always getting in trouble for talking too much. I do remember that specifically. I also remember 
my handwriting be being just as poor as it is today. It is the same exact handwriting I had in fifth grade, but I was very active. I had a bunch of friends, very social as per my talking. And I played baseball growing up. I played baseball for about 10 years. Um, Just like very low stakes, little league baseball. My dad was my coach along with my best friend's dad. You say that, you say that, but then you say 10 years. And I know towards the end, you're sort of good at baseball at that point. I never crossed that threshold of of turning into a good athlete. I really, again, was there just for the social aspect of it. We got like little 50 cent treat tickets at the end of the game. And so I would wait for those and then go gossip at the at the candy counter, basically, with all my friends. But I do know of some athletic prowess. I only know this from our recent uh, summer associate event at the you know golf simulator. We mm-hmm. have to now talk about that. You were apparently really good at golf in element. And you know, it's my fault because I said late elementary school, middle school. So I totally left out how good you were at golf in third grade. Could you please yes. elaborate on that? <laughs> yes, third grade. That's That was my story the other night. I came in first place at a golf tournament in third grade at my local country club and I retired on top. I did not play one, one game after that. I did a bunch of lessons leading up to that and then it kind of culminated in that third grade championship plaque that I should honestly maybe bring to the office to hang up on a wall somewhere. But it was super fun. I used to, I love golf. My dad golfs, I think every single day during the summer. And so I know all the rules of golf. I used to be a caddy for approximately three days. So I I know all the rules from caddying as well. So I understand how to play golf and I really love the activity or like the whole environment of golf, driving the cart, chatting with people. But the actual playing might not be my favorite thing. You just hang it up. You peaked, you were done. And I agree about bringing in that plaque because I'm going to fast forward and we're going to talk about you being a 1L summer associate. But I'm going to say you're going to come back to Foley for your 2L. And I'm going to say you're going to have an office at Foley. So in what is it, another two years, I can stop by your office and see that plaque, which I think you should proudly be displaying. Yes. I think my task tonight is to go home into the attic to to search for that. So I think I, w- I will do that. I'll send you a picture. And you know what, James? I'm sorry because this podcast may follow you, particularly at Foley, and you might be seven, eight years into practice. And some partner's going to be like, yeah, so you were really good at golf in the third grade. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we will keep moving. Take me to high school. Was Were you similar in terms of like you said, you like to talk. I'm assuming you had a lot of friends, but what were the high school activities and what was the thought process as you started thinking about college? Yeah. High school. I loved high school. I thought it was such a great experience for me. I was involved in so much. I was in choir, probably the same choir that John was in. We actually haven't had that conversation yet, but I was in choir and I got to travel to Europe with that choir, which was super fun. We went to France and England I was a part of the broadcasting team or broadcasting club, I guess. We had a whole broadcasting facility and our very own radio station at our high school. And so if you tune in within the 50-mile radius of the south suburbs and you tune into 88.5 FM, you could have heard me on there when I was in high school, which was very fun. You were on the radio. So you're, you have experience doing this that we're doing right now. Yes, I do. Yeah. I mean, very limited experience, but I would just bring my friends on and we would talk about nothing, uh, news that was going on. We had to, you know, part of the broadcasting assignments were to pull news from AP news and we had a news hour every hour. So we would read some of the latest and greatest. And it was really fun. The broadcasting teacher at the time 
also was my dad's high school broadcasting teacher. And so he knew my dad and it was just like a fun reunion. He made everything so great. So I had a really great experience in broadcasting. One of the biggest projects I did for that was we had to make a 55 minute radio documentary. And so I did mine on Alzheimer's disease because my grandpa at the time had Alzheimer's disease. And so I interviewed a bunch of doctors and nurses and nurse practitioners about the disease and put together a 55 minute radio documentary. And we did that over the course of the whole year. And that was our final project and final grade for the year. That's so neat. I didn't realize, well, I guess I, when you say it, it makes sense that schools would have these sorts of activities, but it never occurred to me it would be that. Now though, it might be a 55 minute podcast. Yeah. I I mean, I essentially made a 55 minute podcast. It was just so old school and how I had to edit everything together and how we actually ended up playing in the machines that we were using. I mean, looking back, it wasn't terribly long ago, but it still feels like ancient technology by today's standards. But now they have a whole television studio. It looks like a professional ABC7 News. That's so cool. So there's another attorney I've had on who did was very focused on being a journalist, actually. And when she was in college, um, this is Lori Taylor, she would be the local affiliate for whatever. I forgot where she went to school, but that's cool. And also my mind is now thinking ahead. Go ahead, join Foley, and you could do some sort of like special editions of The Path and the Practice, the ones that take, that aren't just one long conversation where you're out, you're out in the field, you're getting to know Foley attorneys on a theme. Well, anyway, we'll talk about that later. Okay. So you go to college, you already said where you went, but say again where you went and talk about how you figured out where to go to school and what your, I don't know if you knew what you wanted to do, just what was the thought process? Yeah. So I actually, so I went to two undergrad institutions. So the first one I started at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, and it's just a huge Big Ten school. And when I was there, it was my first time living not at home, obviously. And I was in the process of kind of discovering who I was and kind of coming out to myself. And so I just never really found a place that I could call home at the University of Illinois. And so I thought it'd be best if I transferred, kind of came back home Mm. closer to the city in a more comfortable space so that I could have the room to figure myself out. So at the end of that year, I decided to transfer to DePaul University in Chicago and it just seemed to be a great fit. I, I think I knew from the minute I stepped on campus for a tour in February, and February in Chicago is pretty much the worst time ever. I still really loved the campus and the whole experience. And so I said, if I love it now, I will certainly love it in the spring, fall, and summer. So I decided DePaul would be a great fit for me. And to another part of your question, I initially was a journalism major as well. And so I did broadcast journalism at the University of Illinois, along with a bunch of gen eds, and then transferred to the journalism school at DePaul University. And then I kind of realized that journalism maybe wasn't my number one passion. And I still really liked telling stories and I liked talking with people and working with people, but just maybe not in that way. And so I just transferred to a communication major with a minor in religious studies. All right. So you just said a lot and I have to unpack it a little bit. In terms of going to the University of Illinois, Illinois Champaign-Urbana. So for those who are from the state of Illinois, you might have a sense. But for those who aren't, I think of it as being downstate. In many ways, the Chicago area, which is where DePaul is, we're quite far north. We're right next to the lake. 
big city, city of Chicago. But when you start going downstate, I think it's a very different feel. I have not spent much time in that part of the state. But I know you, the campus basically is sort of what's there. It is It is everything. up. It's, it's everything down there. And you mentioned, and I don't know how much time we'll spend on this, but you mentioned you were coming out to yourself and really learning who you are. But I'm guessing maybe being in the city was more conducive also in some ways. And I don't know if there's more commentary on that or how much you even want to share, but I did want to follow up on that because it's a it's a big thing to be figuring out not only college, but like like you said, who I am as a person. Right. It was just a really challenging experience, I think, especially going down there alone. Me and my roommate were not identical matches. And so that was that made things harder. I tried to put a square peg in a round hole and rush a fraternity, which just didn't make sense for me as a person. And so I just tried to do all of these different things that just ended up not working for me because I was trying to force something that was not. There's this denial of who I really, I'm going to do the things on paper or that others would say I should do to have the quintessential college experience. But it's not, I'm guessing simultaneously, it's sort of undeniable that this stuff isn't what I'm interested in or who I am. Yeah, exactly. And so I think I was just in that that crossroads of figuring that out. And I just had to learn that the hard way. And uh, I came home, honestly, quite a bit that year, just because the studies for me were never something that consumed my whole life. I was always really good at school. And that did translate to college, luckily for me. And so I was able to kind of focus on myself and kind of put that time in that I needed to spit myself out on the other side, uh, a better person. There's two things, there's two paths I have to follow. One, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about DePaul and then we're going to talk about where you worked and then we'll get to law school. What brought you to University of Illinois in the, in the first place? I, I thought I wanted a Big Ten experience. I thought I wanted that that classic quintessential college experience. And the University of Illinois was just the closest, the cheapest, and the best, one of the best schools I got into. And so uh, it just made sense on paper it was exactly what I wanted. And then in reality, it just wasn't exactly what I wanted. Well, and I love you sharing that. This, there, I don't know, there's so many things I feel like we talk about on this podcast, but particularly because we are catching some high school students, strangely enough, listening. I just think it can be reaffirming to hear someone say, what I thought I wanted wasn't what I thought I wanted, because I think to some extent we all need permission for that. But also, I know when you look back, I'm significantly older than you, but when you look back, learning something at 18, 19, 20 is still pretty early to learn it. <laughs> So you you aren't exactly behind in figuring out, you know, who you are. But anyway, you go to DePaul, you switch majors. I think communications is a fantastic major for somebody who later goes to law school, by the way. I think it'll it'll have been two up ep- no, and the episode right before this one features Chris De Janeiro, and we talk about the majors you can be before law school. And we were both basically pre-law, like philosophy, political science sort of majors. But I think that that kind of major, or even like accounting or communications, something without law in it is probably a better way to go. Although I'm guessing, did you know that law school was going to be in your future at this point? I had an inkling that law school would be in my future, but I went through that kind of phase. I think that everybody might go through where it's like, I don't want to work a nine to five and I want to be as artistic as humanly possible and all of that stuff. And so again, figuring out exactly what I wanted was so hard, was, was just so hard. You know what I mean? And you don't know until you live through everything, at least in in my opinion. And so law school was on the back burner, but that's because I've got a lot of lawyers and judges in my family. And so I just always had that in the back of my brain from a very early age. So you'd had some exposure to that. I know you mentioned at DePaul, you switched to being 
a communications major, and then I think you said religious studies minor. Why did you pick that up as your minor? So I always just loved studying religion. I just thought it was really fascinating and a great opportunity to see how other people see and interpret the world. And I always found that really fun. I had a I had a great church experience growing up. I know that might not be the case for everybody, but my my church was absolutely amazing. And uh, they were just really supportive of everybody's beliefs and wanted to encourage diverse thought and diverse opinions. And it was just a really awesome environment. And so long story long is we went on a world religions retreat as a part of my confirmation process. And so we went to a Buddhist temple. We went to a Hindu temple. We went up to the Baha'i House of Worship in Wilmette. We also went to a mosque on Friday night and a Baptist church on Sunday. And so we kind of got to see the whole spectrum of religions just in the Chicago area, but they really represent such a diverse population. And uh, I just had such a fun time on that retreat that I ended up going on the retreat mm. four times more um, as like an adult teen leader. And then I right. came back as an adult leader when I was going to DePaul University. And so I just loved it so much. And uh, that's that's really what sparked that interest in me. That more than planted the seed because you're just like, oh, I can le- I can now learn about this in school. It reminds me there. I live in Oak Park and there's a Unitarian church here that does something similar. I think it's an eighth grade. You do a survey of all of these religions. And that that's really interesting. And yes, of course, makes my diversity and inclusion professional heart sing um, yes. <laughs> to hear about the early exposure to that. Uh, and then something else you said, because James, I realized we could talk about a lot of things and I will, I will keep <laughs> us moving forward. But something I think you said is so important about to some extent, we have to learn from doing. And I re- actually, I'd say to most extent, we yes. have to learn from doing. And I think that's a, also a big theme of this podcast is people saying, hey, I thought I wanted to do this, or I thought I wanted to be a lawyer, or I thought I wanted to be this sort of lawyer, but what I found was actually, it wasn't X, it was Y. And that's really what you hear about in in journeys. I don't know if you have any further commentary on that, but that's just a really profound insight. Yeah, no, I I think that, I I think I've, I don't know if I'm going to phrase this correctly, but I've learned from experiences where I've tried to make something fit and it just doesn't. And I've done that with a school. And I've also done that with a job that we haven't gotten to yet, but I just knew that it wasn't the right fit from the moment that I got there. And so I know what that feeling looks like and feels like, and I can kind of recognize that pretty quickly now that when I'm picking law schools or picking, you know, firms that I'm interviewing with to see if it really is going to be a good fit for me. And so I think it's a good compass or radar that I've kind of developed over the years. So yeah, when you're talking my language, when you say it's a feeling, and I think we'll we'll probably expand on this, but a fair amount of it is not just like using your intellect to decide what on paper, based on the latest stats, based on the latest rankings makes the most sense. A lot of the decisions we make as human beings, they come down to just how I feel in the position or at the school or whatever I'm doing. I know we're going to talk about that more. So we'll keep we'll keep moving forward. You go to DePaul, you graduate. You mentioned it was in 2016. Mm-hmm. So we have a little bit of a gap to close between college and then you starting law school. What did you end up doing in between? So I had a three jobs over that course of those five years. And so the first one, I was a project manager for a web design and development studio. And it was a very small company. We had about 12 people there. It was really fun. It was really great. It was partnered with, it was, I guess, uh, connected to a music studio in Chicago. And so we had professional recording studios downstairs where giant orchestras would come record. 
some amazing artists would come record. And my friend's dad is a music producer. And so he's the guy that ended up connecting me to the web design and development teams. And so I interviewed with them. That was my very first job out of college. And it was so much fun. Everybody just, I remember the, my boss had his feet up during my interview, like tossing blueberries into his mouth. And so I just, I was like, this feels fun and loose and uh, a place where I can kind of learn. And he was obviously very smart. And so I had a great time there. And then that kind that company kind of closed its doors. And so I had to pivot to finding another job. And I ended up at a marketing agency for a little bit. I actually don't even really put this on my resume because it was such a short blip of like three months. Yeah. But that marketing agency just wasn't the best fit for me at the time. And so that prompted me to begin my search rather quickly for a new opportunity. And so I I knew a friend of mine that worked at a company called WeWork. And at the time, it was such a, a new and exciting startup in Chicago. And I was very excited about everything that they were doing. And so I ended up applying. I got an interview, met a few different people, and ended up getting a job there in a very unique product that they were launching here in Chicago. And, you know, and actually, I'm going to pause you right there because we'll say a few few more sentences or questions about that. But I do just want to acknowledge what you said about having that one job you were only at for about three months. This is the former recruiter in me talking, but it's, it actually really goes, I think, along with the theme of our conversation about places being the right fit and feeling like you belong somewhere. Um, in my former life, when I would help lawyers find jobs, we all sort of have this feeling of like, I have to stay at X for name it, one year, three years, whatever it is. But I think there's something to be said for if something's really not the right spot for you or good for you, you absolutely can transition. And I also think it's neat that all these jobs that you've mentioned, they do fall within that communications focus <laughs> that you had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they all do. Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a good point. I did have to address the fact that I had only been there for three months when I interviewed at the following job. And so uh, just being honest, I find is the best policy. And people really can see that you're being genuine when you answer a question. And of course, you want to put a positive spin on on everything. But I just was honest in my answer and that it, it was it's not a good fit for me. And I'm looking for a different kind of challenge. This isn't the direction that I thought it was going to be. And so that's why I'm looking to pivot. And so which, by the way, shows all sorts of self-awareness that I think people appreciate. Like you said, if you're able to couch things in a way that makes sense, but isn't ever disparaging a place. And so I can see from your LinkedIn, you were then at WeWork for a little bit over three years. I'm going to resist all temptation I have, by the way, to ask a lot of questions about that, because I think for anyone who sort of followed just the the exponential growth of WeWork. There's actually a lot of information out there. So I can imagine that it was a really interesting time. Maybe you say a little bit about what your role was, and then we can start talking about that that transition and why you started thinking law school was your next step. Absolutely. So yes, there's plenty of materials out there about the WeWork story. And so everybody can look into those if they don't already know. But I worked on a very specific product for WeWork. And so we launched a product called Powered by We here in Chicago. And so that's where we would partner with Fortune 100 clients on either redoing their space, revamping their corporate culture, or doing both of those things. And so me and my team were in charge of really going into our first client here in Chicago and completely revamping their corporate culture. And it goes from the ground all the way up. And so we really needed to speak to 
the C-suite level people at these Fortune 100 clients to understand the goals that they had for their company culture. And then we also needed to speak to the employees at the local level to understand how things operate there. And so we kind of built out the model for that product here in Chicago. And then me and my team were tasked with flying around the world, but me specifically around the country to implement these same kind of initiatives at different client sites around the country. And so I was in Kansas City, I was in New York, we consulted with people in Texas and San Francisco, and my boss even flew to China to go and do the same thing out there for a little bit. And so we had a really unique opportunity and I think far too much responsibility for a 25-year-old to be taking on themselves. I was going to say, and suddenly you are leading culture change at a top company. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, really, it couldn't have been a better opportunity. And I, it was really just trial by fire. You know, there were no rules and we, we literally were writing the playbook on how to navigate a relationship with a corporate client. And so those came with a lot of learning opportunities and a lot of mistakes, but a lot of really awesome moments to shine and kind of show your skills too. And so I thought it was just a great experience overall. And I've made some of the, my greatest friends now in life from all of these experiences. Wow. That is so interesting. That's a, like you called a product or a service. I didn't realize that we worked at, I think a lot of people think of we work as the explosive growth of shared office spaces, but it makes sense. I, I have heard of some of the other things they would offer, but so you do that for three years. That's kind of a while you're enjoying it, but you decide to go to law school. Why? What happened there? I decided to go to law school. It, it was just at the time when, I guess over the years, to make a long story long, I bought a bunch of LSAT books over the years, right? And so I just was like, oh, this one has great reviews. Like, let me just buy it. Wait, I'm sorry. All this is going on. All this is going on in life. And in the background, you've been secretly, or not secretly, but low-key, just poking around considering the LSAT. And by the way, so how long ago had you started just happening to buy LSAT books? LSAT, I mean, LSAT purchasing started, I, it was probably a four-year process of LSAT purchasing. And ever since I graduated from undergrad, I think is right about 2016 is when I started buying the LSAT books. And so, but like I said earlier, my uh, grandpa was a lawyer and a judge here in Chicago. And then his dad was a federal judge here in Chicago. And so the idea of being a lawyer has always been on my mind. And I think I have a lot of the same skill sets that my grandpa has. And he's just a very thoughtful, smart guy, not calling myself thoughtful and smart. I'm trying to be humble here. But I think that he has kind of rubbed off on me, I guess is to say. And so it's always been in the back of my brain. I've been buying LSAT books for the last like four or five years. And as we approach 2020, so it's the end of 2019, things are changing at WeWork at this time. And so I start to think, hey, maybe it is time for me to pivot. Why don't I lean into all of those LSAT books that I have collecting dust in my parents' house? And so um, over the winter break of 2019, I went down to my parents, uh, spent the holiday with them, and then took a bunch of the LSAT books back up with me in January of 2020. And so I just was kind of peeking at them. I didn't really even know what this, the LSAT schedule looked like or when they were administered or any of those things. And so I was just very casually looking. And then I had the opportunity to take a severance or keep my job at WeWork. And knowing 
I had kind of worked out all the timeline by then and knowing that I was going to school in the fall and the mm -hmm. opportunity for this specific severance, I said, that's it makes sense. Timing. Yeah, decent that's timing. Decent timing for me. Timing. Yes. And so I ended up being able to take a severance. So my last day at WeWork was December of 2020, the very last day of December. And then that January through actually, you know what? I think I've messed up this story. If <laughs> I'm timing. being honest with you, I think I've messed up the timeline. <laughs> well, no, your LinkedIn is December, 2020. Yeah, December 2020. But I guess that doesn't factor in the LSAT studying that had to be done before then. And so, like I said, during that time, the end of 2019, things were changing at WeWork. And so that's when you that 2019 studying. year, yeah, at the beginning of 2020, I started studying. The pandemic comes. Then I really lean into studying because I'm just working from home and I have no idea which way is up basically at this point. And so I said, let me just throw myself into a structured assignment that can kind of keep me sane as I live in this studio apartment. And so I, I did that. And then I ended up taking the LSAT twice. So I took it in June and maybe August, the one right after that. That's when I knew I had my LSAT scores back. When we get to December, I do have that opportunity for a severance or to keep my job. And timing worked out where I knew I was going to law school at that point. So I took a severance and was able to really thoughtfully make that decision about where I was going to go to law school. Now go back to the, because I know some listeners, particularly those contemplating law school, are going to say, well, why, why'd you take the LSAT twice? How's that work? What's the benefit of that? Yes. So the LSAT is a difficult test, in my opinion. I did not have the best time studying for it, if I'm being fully honest. It's not impossible to pass, but it's just like any other, any other standardized test. You just need to learn how to take it. And so I just didn't have the resources available to me to hire a tutor to kind of help coach me through that process. And so I was doing all the studying on my own and just trying to make sense of it. And so taking practice tests, making sure you take a diagnostic test at the very beginning of your studying and then kind of track your progress that way along the way is very helpful. So that's a big piece of advice I'd like to share. But yeah, I just I was just studying it on my own. And so when I took it in June, I didn't get as good of a score as I was hoping to get. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I can take it one more time and still stick to my timeline of applying by Thanksgiving. That's the that's the date I had in my brain. And so I really wanted to apply then because I knew that your chances of getting in somewhere are higher, supposedly at the beginning Earlier. of the process. Yeah, because they're still exactly. filling the class. Yep. Right. And so I was like, I want to maximize my odds here. And so I took it again in August, was able to improve my score, which I was very pleased with. And then I used both of those scores, because you report all of your scores to every school to apply in the fall. There's a lot of helpful information in there, by the way. <laughs> and we won't go too far down this because we, we're going to talk about Foley and your summer yeah. and all that. But the LSAT as a diagnostic tool is tough. It definitely is. There's certain types of people who like how their brain works that are going to do great on it. And there's depending on just what you enjoy, how you think, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, not surprisingly, because he's commented on everything, talks about the tortoise and the hare and how the LSATs for the hare. Mm -hmm. And just because you test really well in that way doesn't necessarily you know, indicate that you're going to be amazing as being a lawyer, just like if because you don't test well in that way doesn't mean you won't be an amazing lawyer. Right. And that also for somebody walking in off the street, sure, someone could walk in off the street and score a top score. But a lot of people tremendously benefit from a prep course or from, you know, like you did with, with materials, but not everybody knows that. And there are a lot of people who are like, yeah, I'll just go take the test. And they don't realize 
tips and tricks and all of that. And and frankly, as a diversity professional, you know, it starts getting into questions of equity <laughs> and and fairness and all of that, which we won't get into. But I do want to highlight that because for some a, a, someone in college listening. If you can swing it, if you have the means to take a, a prep course, that can be a huge difference in your score because they're going to tell you how to navigate that test. If you buy a book, that's also going to vastly improve your score. But there's plenty of people who just schedule it and go take it and have no idea. That is absolutely wild to me. I cannot imagine taking that exam blind. I am not the best standardized test taker. I'm not bad, but I'm not stellar. And so... I had the same experience with the ACT where I didn't get the best score I ever wanted on the first try. And so then I actually did have the opportunity to hire a tutor and I was able to significantly improve my ACT score prior to going to college. And so I know that once I have someone coaching me and working through problems with me, and once I kind of get more comfortable and familiar with the timing of the test, for me, that's the biggest hurdle. And so that was definitely the biggest hurdle with the LSAT because there's just so much information to cover and so many answers to provide within a limited time frame. So, well, back to the tortoise or the hare. If they didn't time restrict it, everybody would do great, but the whole like can you do this in 60 minutes? I don't know. I don't know the utility of that. But anyway, okay, you go to law school. How would you figure out where you were going? I spent a lot of time thinking about this and uh, I ended up just outside of Philadelphia at Villanova University, like I said, but It was not my intention to move to Pennsylvania when I started this process. And so I think that really just speaks to how you really just need to follow your gut during that entire time. I applied all over the country. I was between Philadelphia and San Francisco for my final two. I applied here in Chicago as well. And you just kind of have to see what the best fit is. I got into a lot of great schools in New York and Chicago and Philadelphia, but every time I took a call with Villanova, I was just more and more impressed with the offerings that they had, the mentorship programs that they had, the clinics that they had available. And so I just knew that it was going to be the best fit for me. And on top of it, he just actually left the law school, but we had probably the best dean of admissions uh, in the history of law school admissions. And he just went out of his way to go above and beyond and make us feel like our applications really mattered. And he gave me a call to extend my acceptance over the phone and just was so complimentary and just so nice and knew every single detail about my application. I wrote three essays for Villanova's application specifically, and he he read every single one of them and, and spoke to all of them. And it just really stood out to me as an exceptional admissions experience. And so I just knew based on that, that it would be the right community for me. And so when I did take that severance, I had the time afterwards to go ahead and uh, travel to Villanova. Once I stepped foot on campus, I was like, this is it. I just know that this is the place. This is it. This is my school. Maybe goes without saying, but as you talked about the wonderful Dean of Student Admissions at Villanova, the University of Michigan, which is where I went, has the same story. And Mm. I think great law schools do have really charismatic, like engaging, connected deans of admission, like to this day, every Michigan law student, it's like, oh, it's Dean Zierfa. It's like, you can't, it could be you're out of school three years or like 15 years. You're, you light up when you see her name. So that really engendered that feeling in me as you gave that story. So you go to Villanova, you've now finished your first year. How was the first year? Was it an adjustment? Did you, were you surprised by what law school was like, or was it just what you thought it would be? You know, that's a great question. I, it was kind of a mixed bag, I guess. It 
is very, very hard. And I love it though. I, I do want to preface all everything that I'm saying. I actually do love law school and I love going to school. Well, and you're very involved. I see you have a, you're doing a lot of activities there. So talk about those too. Yes, absolutely. Um, I love law school. I think it's, it's, I've never worked harder in my life, but I've never felt more proud about the work that I've put out either. And so I think you get out of law school, what you put into it, I guess is what I mean to say. And so I'm super involved at school. I'm, I was a 1L representative on the Student Bar Association. I was just elected to be the treasurer for next year. So I'll be on the executive board of the Student Bar Association. I am on the negotiation team as of very recently. I'm also like a dean's student ambassador. And so I just, you know, help take tours and kind of sell Villanova to any prospective students. And so I really do love it. I think all my professors are absolutely amazing. And they've all gone out of their way to help me through the process because, you know, transitioning from professional life to law school is very hard in and of itself. But even if you were going from undergrad to law school, it's a completely different school experience too. And so everybody just is kind of treading water and just trying to keep their head above. And you do get the hang of it eventually. Like by the, by the end of second semester, I knew how I liked to study. I knew how much time I would need to take to read something. But for that first semester, you're really just, you know, reading every single word on every single page. Well, like you said, it's treading water. It's disorienting. You, yeah. For most classes, it's one exam that decides your grades. You're not quite sure how they're going to be testing that. And I, I caught what you said about professors being helpful because when I meet law students now, because also in some schools, the professors are there to publish. Like there are some who are like, mm -hmm. yeah, and I happen to teach some classes. And I will mention to students, go to that professor's office hours, talk to them. If they have, some of them will have the exams from prior years and some of, not everyone, but some of them will show that, show them to you. And that is invaluable. And the students are sort of like, oh, you can tell they're scared. And I was like, you're paying or someone is paying a whole lot of money for you to be here. So for you to go take 15 or 20 minutes just to see if you can maybe get like the keys to the universe in terms of how to get a solid grade on your exam, go take ownership and go do that. Absolutely. 100% agree with you. Villanova does have actually a library of past exams available to all students. And that is an invaluable resource. I learn the best when I'm able to review practice exams and answers. And so I can kind of think through the logistics of what the professor wants me to think through on an exam question. And so, like you said, whether you're, you know, or have a full ride or a paying, you know, sticker price, you are spending a lot of time and it's a very huge investment. And so it's worth it to make the most out of your investment and go talk to all of your professors and get to know them because they're going to give you helpful tips. And, you know, I think legal writing is probably the most challenging course. At least it was for me. I used to be able as a communication major, you know, write papers in an hour before they were due and get an A on them and everything was perfect. But legal writing is just such a different beast. And so learning how to reorganize and not feel wrong by being repetitive in a, in a brief mm -hmm. or an emotion is kind of a hard learning curve. At least it was for me. And my legal writing professor was so, so helpful in kind of getting me up to speed and, and walking me through the legal writing process. It's been great. Yeah, I found legal writing to be disorienting. That's all I remember because it was uh, 17 or 18 years ago <laughs> that I would have taken it. <laughs> but I also recall a pivotal moment for me, even though it was a long time ago that I was in law school, was when someone said they didn't outline. And I'm not saying you shouldn't outline, dear listener, 
But just this whole idea that, wait, I'm in this special place called law school. I'm supposed to study how you tell me to study. Oh, no, I can actually study in the way I learn best. It hadn't occurred to me. I thought I had to come and learn how other people learned. And, and, and the rules in some ways of like what works best for you still apply. But I think people can forget that and try to do what everyone else is telling them to do. And, you know, there's there's value in that as well. Like certainly be open to recommendations. But this idea that you have to study how every other person in your class studies, you might not learn that same way. Absolutely. I think there are people that really thrive studying in the library and I just don't. And so I like to study at home. I like to be in my environment. I like to be in a specific shirt when I'm studying and I like to, you know, sit at my desk. But sorry, this goes back to the theme of what works for you and what feels right. But you're like, I want to look like Elle Woods walking into the (laughs) library with all my books because that's what you do in law school. No, maybe you're better off like books rolled across your bed. Like, I don't know, but do what works for you. (laughs) Right. Just do what works for you because you're really just kind of navigating another challenging but not impossible life experience. And so I think just leaning into what makes you feel the most comfortable is a super essential that first semester of law school, for sure. Well, and I'm kind of laughing to myself because I realize we've been talking for about 40 minutes and we're just now going to hit the point of like, how do you get to Foley and how's your summer been? Normally, I tend to talk to the lawyers more than law students. So usually we would have had to get through all of this, Austin, in like 12 minutes so that I can talk about 25 years of legal practice. Yes, but no I think worries. we are right on, right on pace for the show. So... You navigate your first year, you get extremely involved, and you're in Philadelphia. Like, how does Foley and Lardner in the Chicago area come onto the scene? Yeah. So, I have known about Foley for probably the last eight to 10 years or so. I knew an attorney that worked here, a partner in the Chicago office named John Litchfield. Yep. And so John's who I mentioned when we first started, also from Flossmore. Exactly. So he, I knew his mom very well. I actually, we didn't touch on this, but I did co-found a nonprofit with John's mom actually before going to law school. And so I got to know her really well. And then a mutual friend of ours from church actually connected me and John because I said I was interested in law school. And this person said, oh, you got to meet John. You'll love it. And this was like seven or eight This was about eight years ago. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I met John just around the corner from the Foley office here in Chicago for lunch. He told me about Foley and his experience. And we kind of just talked generally about his career just in general, like I said. And I just always kept Foley on the radar just because I knew that John was here. And so getting to know John over the last eight years, I know how great of a person he is. And so anything he does, I'm like, oh, maybe I should look into that. Probably you know? solid. Yeah. Exactly. Probably a solid choice. And so just fully has been on the radar from there because fully does not do OCI interviewing at Villanova. And so there's no fully office in Philadelphia. And so I knew I wanted to come back to Chicago. I applied to you know a bunch of different firms and fully was one of those firms. And I gave John a heads up. I said, hey, I put your name as someone I might know at the firm on my application. If anyone reaches out to you, that's why. And he was like, oh my gosh, like, thank you for telling me. I'm so glad you applied. I'll be sure to, I'll be sure to flag it. And then I kind of got sucked into the interviewing machine from there. Exactly. Well, and also it's different for being a 1L. So, you know, I think a lot of people who listen to our current lawyers are in law school and they get it, but some aren't. So we call you a 1L summer associate because you just finished your first year. Mm-hmm. Typically, our, we have we have far more 2Ls, people who just finished their second year of law school joining us in the summer. So I'm just going to ballpark our numbers. Let's say this summer we have around 70 or 80 summer associates, maybe 11 or 12 of those total are 1L. 
Yes, I think that is right. This summer, I know we have 97 summer associates total across the farm. There you go. You're actually, and I knew that too, and I just forgot. So I was like, let's say it's 80. I don't remember. I only work here. I've got (laughs) it written down in a packet somewhere in that back corner of my office. This summer is a a large summer class. You're right. So we have almost 100 summers. But I just think it's important for people to understand because generally it can be quite difficult to get a 1L summer associate position. But I think a number of the things you said bring value to those who maybe listen to this this fall when they enter law school and want to get a 1L position. The timing is a little bit different. We don't go on campus really looking for 1Ls. We go on campus more looking for 2Ls as a part of what's called the on-campus interview process, which usually happens the summer, like late summer, kind of right now, after your first year of law school, depend, depending on where you go to law school. Some law schools get a lot of employers coming, some don't get many. But if you're looking for that 1L opportunity, that is usually going to start actually when you quite haven't even quite finished your first semester. It's usually like December, January. Right. It's, it's about December or January. So I don't even know if I had my first semester grades by the time that I was applying to some places, but I did end up getting my transcript and submitting those uh, as a supplement to my applications. But yeah, that happens about December or January time. And then you're probably interviewing in January and then receiving, you know, fingers crossed an offer in February. A firm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then it's really important because I don't know that this will get out early enough to help many people unless they start listening to the show, like their first couple months in law school. But that timing is something I think a lot of people don't understand because if you are walking in, don't really know any lawyers, don't know anyone in this industry, you might hear some rumblings from other law students of, well, maybe I want to try to work at a firm next year. I know it's really hard. But in the normal human's mind, you might start thinking, yeah, February, March, April to figure out the following summer. No, like that stuff's already happened. Right, exactly. So for the those early in their legal career, you just started law school, it's December, it's January. Usually firms on their website will have a place where you can apply. Also, you have that connection through John, but it's all humans working in law firms. So if you can get to know any of the humans, which by the way, they don't have to have been someone from your hometown I tell you, I'll say LinkedIn's actually a really good place for this. Mm -hmm. You can start upping your odds by making connections with people. I would 100% echo everything that you just said. I think establishing a connection with somebody at the law firm is only going to help you. And people here at Foley, in my experience, at least in the Chicago office, are so receptive to having those kinds of conversations, whether you're a summer associate or a prospective summer associate. I think that If you shot anyone an email, at least on my floor, for sure, everybody is going to respond to you and and make a little bit of time to answer some of your questions for sure. Well, and if you've managed to find this podcast, you now have an amazing on-ramp because (laughs) if you listen to any of the episodes, you now can email that person and say, hey, I listened to your podcast. But I just, I can't stress enough for law students to not be shy, whether you have a, a vehicle like this podcast to connect you to someone or you go to your school's career services and ask for alumni and X city that do this sort of law, that two to three sentence email, I'd love 15 minutes of your time just to hear about your practice is all you need. But I've been burying the lead, which is, what's your summer been like? What have you done this <laughs> summer? How have you liked it? I've made people wait. The, the law students listening are so angry. It's been 48 minutes. That's so funny. <laughs> but how's it been? It has been seriously 10 times better than I ever expected it could be. I've had such a great time at Foley this summer, and I really am being genuine here. 
not just because I'm on the podcast with you, but I've had such a great time getting to know everybody here at the firm, but also doing like real and substantive work. Of course, we're doing legal research and, and doing the thing that we do at law school all the time. But, you know, you're doing legal research for motions that are being argued in court. You are preparing memos that are advising clients on what to do on the next steps of X, Y, and Z and how to navigate, you know, certain state-specific law. I've been able to, you know, sit in on different arbitrations that we've hosted here at the office. I've sat in on live in-person depositions, which have been so fun and thrilling. And I, I didn't touch on this, but I came into this summer associate position not knowing if I wanted to do the business law route or the litigation route. And so they designated me as kind of doing half and half. And so I got to take projects really all across the board just to narrow this down on what direction I wanted to go with my next two years in law school and subsequent legal career. And so I have determined that litigation is the life for me. And I just feel like I would be best suited for a litigation-based practice. And so I'm really excited to kind of pursue that next summer. And it's just been such a fun, it's really just been such a fun time. And on top of the work that you're doing, which is real work, like I said, you're also spending a lot of time getting to know the attorneys here at Foley. And someone said this, I think our first week, I actually think it was John. He said, you're basically on a 10 week interview. We want to see who you are, how you work and how you connect with everybody here at the office. Because I think the most important thing, at least in my experience, is being able to work with people when you have like good people that you're working with, you know, late into the night when you're drafting something or, you know, spending time with just in casually outside of work, like you want to be able to relax and have fun and really enjoy the people. And so I think that's a huge focus here at Foley. And it's been great. To add on to what John said, that interview also goes both ways. Because as you were saying, you got to do work on two different primary practice areas, litigation and transactional work. So you're figuring out not only what work do I seem to enjoy the most, but also which people do I enjoy the most? And I know you said you're going to focus on litigation, so I'm not at all disparaging our very large corporate department. No. They're all great too. All wonderful. But, but chances are, in addition to you liking that subject matter area more, there's also some associates or partners that you've especially clicked with. And that's another thing about being a summer associate. That is your time to get to know the firm, not just to prove that they should give you an offer, but so so that when you do come back, particularly for those who are doing this as a 2L, you have a sense of who the people are and you've met a lot of them. So you kind of know who you maybe even want to work with before you start. And that's hard. You don't have that sort of time to get to know so many people when you started and that billable hour clock has started, which is a really important part of the summer experience. So I will sometimes have to reframe the time for summers who maybe get a little too intense on the legal work, which is important, but they'll want to skip the social things. And it's like, no, 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 please go. Because that is potentially equally as important important. Like this is your opportunity to get to know everybody. Absolutely. I think everything, again, you said is completely on point. I can't stress enough how important the social things are and fully does an amazing job at scheduling a ton of awesome social opportunities for all of us summers just to get to know each other. But also all of those events have different associates and different partners at them. And so you really get to network and meet people. And when you go to those events, some attorneys will say, hey, I actually have this research assignment, or I'm actually looking for somebody to draft this, or would you be willing to help? And that's where those projects kind of come up organically 
when you're not pulling them from that work allocation system. Mm -hmm. Yes. And let's spell that out because I know this is the question all the last, how does the summer program work? So we do have, you said a work allocation website where attorneys can put in assignments and you can pick and choose what you'd like to do. But you can imagine it can be a little bit challenging for us sometimes to get our attorneys to keep that up to speed and put in the latest and the greatest. So you then have that added opportunity. If you meet someone, they might say, oh, you know, James, I'm actually working on X. You think you could do some research? And then they may even go ahead and put that in the system just so you can kind of better track what you are working on this summer. But that's usually how you get the work. The other thing I want to clarify for law students listening is that what you come in, whether you're assigned to a group or not, will often depend on the Foley office you're in. So Chicago is one of our larger offices. More of our summer associates come in undeclared. You know, they are going to do a lot of things and decide what they want to do. But sometimes we do have summers who are, well, I'm going to be a summer associate for the corporate group or for litigation or for bankruptcy or for IP. IP in particular, they usually know because they, you know, come in with like a mechanical engineering background. Right. But depending on the size of the office and us knowing what group is going to need the support, you may not be in a, oh, I'm just kind of decide what's best for me. So that can depend. But that being said, we as a firm are focused on you mm-hmm. connecting with the group that works best for you. So occasionally people will end up switching a bit after the fact, not saying you should, but ultimately our goal is for you to fit with the group that you're in. Exactly. And yeah, that opportunity was extended to me. So I was able to have the flexibility to kind of explore different kinds of practice areas and The litigation work just really fit well with my soul. So I was really excited to tell everyone that I'm pursuing that. Well, and we had the opportunity to connect briefly because we did a CLE for a client. When I say we, I mean a couple of our labor and employment attorneys. I got brought in due to the subject matter just to kind of give them tips. But you were gracious enough to do a lot of the research for an extremely well-received client CLE. So that that was very cool to see. That was a really great opportunity too. And and one of the first ones that I was able to work on. And so I had to actually pull out that constitutional law hat from (laughs) from law school that I had just taken off. And so that was really fun. And um, and I, I was really glad to even be present at the presentation for the client. So like I said, you're doing real client facing work and it's just been a really great opportunity and an awesome learning experience so far. Well, you know, as we wind down, first, let me plug an earlier episode of the show that students may want to listen to, which is definitely check out episode 56. That is where I have Bob Scher and Amy Moynihan actually talk about the recruiting and summer process for Foley and Lardner. So we just talked about it for all of maybe six minutes, but Mm -hmm. with them, I talk about it for a full podcast. So check that out. James, as we do start to wind down, first, I wanted to ask if there was anything you'd like to highlight that you didn't get a chance to highlight. And then after that, I want to transition to you getting your thoughts on your overall advice to you know, a law student or someone just navigating law school or the summer process or what, just whatever your general advice is? Yes, those are both good questions. I'm going to kind of, I think, combine both of those and, and tell a story as well. And so my story is when I was interviewing here at Foley, I was speaking with my now mentor. His name is Neil Moaklin. He's an absolutely wonderful person. And he extended the opportunity for me to ask him questions about what it means to be a diverse attorney at a big law firm. And so I asked him what his experience was, and he obviously had nothing but great things to say about his experience at Foley, but the point that I want to point out is he said, bring yourself to the party, bring your whole self to the party. And so I would really just like to impart on everybody to really just be yourself and be as authentic and genuine as possible and follow that instinct that you've developed that's gotten you to the point that you're at because you always want to be comfortable no matter where you are. 
And I find that I have been able to absolutely be myself my entire time here at Foley. It's just a wonderful place to work, but just really trust that instinct and, and find a place that best fits you is the biggest piece of advice that I could probably give. Oh, you know, I love that given who I am and what my job is here. And it's scary, by the way, like we just have to admit the vulnerability and there's a little bit of fear in that. Okay, sure. I'm going to bring, what if still, what if someone has a problem with me bringing my partner? What if people judge me because I have small children? What if, you know, I'm not seeing a lot of other black, like whatever it is, like pick the diversity characteristic. You know, some of those, of course, we can't hide. Some of them we can, Mm -hmm. but I think for a lot of law students, you're many times coming out in debt. The priority is that job that that pays you. And it can be very frightening to maybe bring some things to the forefront that perhaps intuitively you would otherwise not. But I just think that's such profound advice. I think this podcast shows we have a lot of different types of people here, all of whom definitely bring their full selves to work. But I have to acknowledge that it can be a little bit scary. And I don't know if you felt that at all. No, yeah, it's just, I mean, I felt that in in other jobs and in other situations too. It it really is a vulnerable experience to be yourself in a situation that you're, you don't even know anybody that's in the same room as you. And so, but that is really just my, my biggest advice. I would just really follow your gut. Be yourself. Hey, you said it before, follow that feeling. You already said it, you know, if it feels right. Yes. You have to follow the feeling. You just, at least in my experience, like I said, I just know the second I walk into a building, a room, a job, uh, an interview, anything that this is a good fit or this is not a good fit. And so just listen to that inner voice in the back of your head. And uh, I think that that will lead everybody to the place that's right for them. Trust it. Oh, I love that so much. And yeah, we're going a little bit long, but I'm going to say one other thing, which is when you find that alignment where the inner voice is like, yes, this is the place for me. You're comfortable where you work. That is when you're able to have that long, successful legal career, because guess what? Ramping up and becoming a lawyer is hard. Mm -hmm. Now add in ramping up and becoming a lawyer, learning all this whole skill set that sure law school prepped you for, but you still have a lot to learn. And you're doing it in an environment where you don't feel comfortable. You just have made the, the odds of success astronomically like harder to achieve. Mm-hmm. And instead of us talking for another 90 minutes about this, James, we will we will wind down because I'm like, man, we're just really hitting our stride here. <laughs> uh, but what I want to say is thank you so much for being on the show. As I offer this with all of my guests, but it's a little different because you are a law student and will soon be returning to Villanova. For listeners, if they have questions or comments for you, can they feel free to find you on LinkedIn and reach out that way? Absolutely. Please do find me on LinkedIn. I told Alexis this earlier, but I found other summer associates that had been interviewed on this very podcast on LinkedIn before I interviewed it fully. So please reach out to me. I would be happy to return the same favor. All right. Thank you so much, James. Thank you, Alexis. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley and Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.